Kindly open Genesis again, 37. Take up where we left off last Lord's Day at verse 12. And then just follow along as we read through the end of the chapter. Genesis 37. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock at Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock at Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I. And he said unto him, Go, I pray thee, and see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field, and the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed the flocks, their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, and I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit, and we'll say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into the pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him, cast him into the pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, the company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is there if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let us not and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. And his brethren were content. And then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew him out and drew and lifted him, lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt, and Reuben returned into the pit. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the blood, and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, they have, This have we found. Now, 
know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without rent his Joseph is without no doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days and all of his sons and daughters and rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. The Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, and captain of the guard. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for rehearsing before us uh, a truth that occurred um, as it was even yesterday, but the freshness of the passage brings new light into our life. Um, May the life of Joseph, his walk with you, the life of his brethren, bring a greater truth unto our lives today. We pray your spirit to be our teacher, to help us to be good listeners, that the word might be falling upon our hearts as good seed to fall upon good soil, bringing forth fruit of abundance. In Christ's name, amen. Well, our text is rather long this morning. As I look up, It's good. Don't worry, sweetie, we'll be okay. It's just snow. Our text was rather long this morning, but I wanted to finish what we started at the Lord's Day. This, this scene that has occurred in a very short period of time, basically, but there was given a lot of text about it. I want to talk this morning, not necessarily focusing on Joseph so much, but about his brothers. Because without them... Without Reuben and Gad and Asher and Ephelai, Ishakar, Dan, Zebulun, Judah, Benjamin, Levi, and Simeon, there is no real story of Joseph, is there? Without them and without their actions, the story of Joseph remains totally changed. You recall the old Christmas story, It's a Wonderful Life, with Jimmy Stewart playing George Bailey. And he says, oh, I wish I had never been born. And then he comes back into the world in a place that he should be familiar with, but nobody knows him, and everything has changed. What had it been like if Joseph's brothers would have come to him and said, hey, Joseph, sorry for all of that trouble, you know. Yeah, how about we just sit down and have a coffee or something like that, talk about, you know, let's, let's, you know, let's put, you know, bygones be bygones, we're buds, you know. But it didn't. So understanding these men and understanding what lies behind them in this particular passage helps us understand more the character of Joseph and that which he went to. So we take up where we left off sometime after the two dreams. And again, time frame is not given to us, and it really doesn't matter. Uh, The dream one, uh, the dream two, and then a period of time in which the brothers go out and they take the flocks to Shechem. And then all of a sudden, here we come to this particular place. But it is as if nothing had happened. Joseph was asked by his father, Israel, to go to Shechem and see the nature of the, of the flocks and see what's going on with the brothers, see how things are, are, are going. And again, this is not unusual. 
I think this is what dad called Joseph to do a number of times because he trusted him. He was his loyal son. He gave him good reports or he gave him bad reports. How is their, how is their situation? What's, what's happening with them? And so again, he does the same thing. If this Shechem is the same today as it was then, it's a 50-mile journey. Imagine that. Here's a property that, if you know your Old Testament history, Shechem, there was some struggles that went on with, a, with that particular tribe. But no doubt they had rented this property, and, and off they went. So Joseph goes, he makes this journey up there, and no doubt uh, something that he has done many times, uh, the reasonable request. However, when he gets to Shechem, what does he see? The, flea, the fields, no flocks the area where they should be feeding them. And again, we have no idea how many sheep or goats or camels or whatever he had were involved in here. But no doubt because of the number of people in the family, this is a substantial flock. And anything you know about sheep, when it comes time to eating, they devour land. You've got to keep them moving because they'll eat the grass, they'll pull the roots up so nothing comes back after that. So all of a sudden, and what's kind of unique in this, here's a, a passage where a man comes along, and it didn't have to be mentioned in the text, but here's a man just going along, and he says, uh, who are you looking for? What's happening? Well, I'm looking for my brothers and the flocks. Well, where are they? They're supposed to be here. And he said, I heard them talking. I heard them talking amongst each other, and they said, let's go to Dothan. Probably better pastures. Uh, 15 miles again north. So again, you're talking about 65 miles from Hebron where they were located. Uh, no small journey for them. Verse 18, And when they saw him afar off, even before he came unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. I read that and I ask myself, how did they know it was Joseph? What stood out amongst Joseph, amongst every, every other traveler? Yeah, <laughs> the coat, the, the, the coat of jealousy. And it had to be observed in distance. There are hills, and there are pathways, and there are roads that, that are commonplace, but they saw him coming from a vantage point of some distance, and they knew it was the coat. The coat. The idea given as the coat of many colors, though, has its origin in a translation of the Old Testament. Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew. And they translated that to a word which leans itself to be a coat of many colors. Uh, also, it picks up in the Latin Vulgate, the, what becomes the Roman Catholic Bible later on, the same thing. But in reality, if you go to the Hebrew, the range of meanings includes these. A full-sleeved robe, a coat of many colors, a coat reaching his feet, an ornamented tunic, a silk robe, a fine woolen cloak. In other words, a Hebrew, the word can be used in a variety of ways. And it means something, nothing, something more than just an ordinary tunic. Uh, a tunic was a pull over the top of the head. Most of the time, they were sleeveless. And they would come down to the hips, sometimes even farther down. 
just kind of a, a throwover uh, type of thing. What do they call those? You know, even today we've got them. A hoodie. Well, not even with a hood. You know, you just pull over a, like a poncho, something like a poncho. In any case, however we look at it, whether it was many colors, whether it was an ornamented one, uh, something with long sleeves, it was special. And that was identifying him as somebody who was special to his dad, but as somebody that was hated by his brothers. And so he was easy to identify. Verse 18 also tells us when they saw him, even before they came near, they conspired. They secretly planned to kill him. They secretly planned to slay him. Now be mindful that Joseph is still some distance away before them. All of them, except for Benjamin. And where was Benjamin? Benjamin's back with his father. And therefore they see these things coming. Think of this, the very sight of Joseph sparked the flame of hatred in their hearts. It had been some time in order to get a flock of its size from Hebron all the way north 50 miles to the place of Shechem and another 15 miles to Dothan. That was no small trip. I don't know what conversations they had, but the minute they saw this young man in his coat, it just inflamed their hearts in order to bring great anger. You know, folks, such emotions should be red flags in life, shouldn't they? Such emotions that seed anger or hatred or resentment ought to bring something clinging, you know, saying, look out, this is a warning. You see the little railroad crossing bars that come down, you know? The, the bar is, is lights on it and have a, sometimes a bell, ding, 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 and, and lights flashing and, and sounds going on. It says, there's danger here, don't go any further. You know, be careful, danger, there's tragic situations coming. And then you'll see some knucklehead decides, well, I'm going to go scoot around to that. And, and, and the website is full of people who scoot around the little warning bars and all of a sudden find themselves uh, mincemeat when a train comes and, and wipes them out. When such emotions come before us to be able to understand that we need not to be enticed by them, whether it's anger, whether it's resentment, and when we permit powerful emotions in our hearts and minds, whatever we do, it begins to stew and brew. If we hold on to it a day or a week or a month or some cases years, all of a sudden it takes time and then all of a sudden it explodes and it brings to destruction. Lord Jesus Christ gave us an interesting view of it. He says, you have heard it said of them in old time, thou shalt not kill. What commandment? Six. Six. And that's easy to understand. And Jesus says, you know all along from the Mosaic Covenant, this is the commandment. Thou shalt not kill. He says, whoever shall kill in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, in other words, a more clear understanding of what God was intending to present. I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say unto his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But I say unto thee, that whomsoever thou shalt say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Simply stated, do not murder is the principle of life. That which God intended, the standard to follow. 
Yet here Jesus makes a striking connection between thoughts and actions. Between thoughts and actions. God's original intent behind the sixth commandment went far beyond just taking a life. It meant it to be applied to the deepest levels of our thoughts and our feelings towards every person. So the warning light comes when I feel that anger and I feel that resentment and I feel that hatred born as these men did, that all of a sudden I'm in danger because the train's coming and the bar is down and it needs to be stopped right now. It needs to be dealt with right now. And when you think about Joseph's situation, the brothers' desire to kill him, it wasn't a result of some fight that they had, you know. Joseph poking the bear, you know, hey, come on, guys, you know, or some, some deed that he did that says, you're going to get yours, Joseph. It was a result of him simply obeying his father, simply doing that which God, the, the father Isaac had presented to him, or I'm sorry, Israel had presented. Joseph's only guilt was that he was obeying his father, and he wanted to do that which was right for his brothers. You know, do you realize how, how dear these brothers were to Joseph? Uh, his obedience to his father showed forth how much he cared for them and for their well-being. Yet, respective of his innocency, their whole desire was to be able to present unto him deliberately, premeditatedly, desire to kill him in cold blood. Here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him and let's throw him into a pit. He's not there yet, okay? They see him. The, the infuriating attitude all of a sudden boils one with another. Words inciting each other, kind of like a, a gang, uh, a mob attitude. You know, yeah, let's get him. All right, let's, let's do what we need to do. It was fueled by envy and jealousy. It was fueled, no doubt, by the bad report that we talked about last week. And then the real incitement becomes the dreams that he had, that they would be subservient to Joseph. And then finally, the, the overall picture that was bound within the coat that he was wearing. Think about it. This is a brother, half-brother, members of the family nonetheless. And Joseph's only guilt was that he was obedient to do the will of his father. New Testament-wise, doesn't that sound familiar? The picture of being obedient to the will of his father. One out of the line of David, he was the beloved son of his father. The one to whom the father sent out of the glories of heaven to enter into this wicked world to visit us. Because he loved us. He came from heaven to earth to seek us and to save us. He brought us into such a position in order that he would come unto his own. But his own received him not. But they talked amongst themselves this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Joseph becomes a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph was rejected by his brothers because they deeply resented the authority that the father had given to him when they all along felt that was the authority that we should have as the older brothers. But indeed, this is the same situation that was the root of the rejection of Jesus by the religious authorities of his day. The Pharisees therefore said amongst themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world has gone after him. The crowds following him, they're not listening to us. 
Our authority means nothing. This Jesus is the one who has taken it all away, just as it was with Joseph. Isn't this also the reason over the centuries that Christ and his disciples have been mocked, persecuted, even gone to death? I surrender to no man. It's my will, not anybody else's will. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And throughout history, to be part of the name of Jesus Christ, to be part of that family, has brought nothing but hatred, vehement hatred. And that's why they crucified our Savior, and that's why the anger is still upon us. Yet to all of this, our Lord Jesus submitted to and fulfillment of the design that God had before the foundations of the world established. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus knew that. He knew what was coming. But Joseph didn't, did he? Put yourself in his place, not understanding anything about what's going on, all things being equal, uh, being trained and raised and groomed, under the covenants that were given to Abraham and to Isaac and to his father Jacob, presenting unto him that he would be living in such a pious way that he would be a servant unto his father is, even unto God. Yet in any case, all of their pent-up anger, the envy of the eating their way of their souls, finally was unleashed. Yet, in the text, this is before Joseph came. This is just being, yeah, we see him coming and all of a sudden the sight of the coat and the sight of Joseph all of a sudden boils the pot and boils it over. Interestingly enough there here, Reuben steps in and providentially rescues him, saves his life, changes in essence history. Verse 22, shed no blood, he reasons, but cast him into this pit in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him. Why would Reuben say that? Why would Reuben say that? Look what the text says. That he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him unto his father again. Ah, here's the crazy brothers acting irresponsibly. And all of a sudden Reuben says, I'll sneak by and going to put him into the pit. And I'll sneak by and I'll rescue him and take him back to dad. And says, look, dad, I rescued Reuben. I rescued Reuben. I don't think it was a matter because he was more spiritual, more godly than the others. But I think he was taking advantage because he was the eldest. And he wanted to have that first position, that first place with dad once again. The scene that we next receive reveals the callousness of these men. Again in verse 22, and they sat down to eat bread. <laughs> Perfectly bound within the character of that which has been going on all through these days. Seething with anger, they were an inch away from killing their own brother, deceiving their own father. And then what becomes next? It's time to eat. Let's get something to eat, you know. And so as they were sitting around, the irony is presented, putting their brother to death, tossing his worthless body into a hole, telling dad that the lions tore him up, lying to their father. Who's up for pizza? You know, it doesn't make sense. 
It doesn't make sense to the character and the heart attitude that they had. How calloused could they be? And the regrettable part is that most pagans have a deeper sense of loyalty to their family than these brothers. How sad. What a shame. As they were enjoying their pizza, apparently from a vantage point, that they could see the main road that was coming. And it was probably the same road that that Joseph was taking. It was a place where they could see in the distance what was happening. Maybe it's the dust from the camels and the other uh, animals that were going on, but they see a caravan coming. And they recognize, no doubt, as it has in times past, the caravan of, uh, of Ishmaelites doing business from the east and then taking stuff on down to Egypt where they could make money. They knew how to make money. They knew what was needed. It's a matter of, of buy, sell, and trade. Uh, we know what the Egyptians want. We can get all of these sweet-smelling perfumes and stuff from here, and we'll just take it down and sell them. And they were also advantageous in being able to be at slaves. Egypt can always use some more slaves. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. Like, yo, yeah, now all of a sudden they think such. And he was, and the brethren were content. <laughs> you know, they sold him for 20 pieces of silver, about 200 bucks, nothing. Just change as far as life is concerned. Joseph is pulled up by the Midianites, which no doubt Ishmaelites and Midianites were part of this giant caravan, buying and selling as the things were going on. And he was no doubt shackled with the other slaves for the rest of the trip to Egypt. How much time elapsed between verses 28 and 29 is a no. Uh, we see that Joseph is pulled out of the pit in verse 28 by the Midianites, tied up, hooked up. The caravan moves on. Verse 29, who comes? Who's the person who comes next? It's Reuben. So wherever Reuben was, remember, Reuben hears all of the argument. He hears the discussion about killing him and throwing him into a pit. He stops that. He says, no, just put him into the pit. Put him into the cistern where water is held, which was dry at the time. And just leave him. And then Reuben exits. Maybe he goes to take care of the flocks. Maybe there were others that were helping out in, in doing that. But all of a sudden, Reuben comes back. And he sees what's going on. And he looks into the pit. And he says, yeah, guys, what have you done? And probably... If you think of this caravan, it had probably moved on down the way. If Reuben recognized that Joseph was there, I'm sure he would have gone and rescued Joseph uh, out of the hands of them. So the caravan has moved sufficiently down the road. Here, Behold, Joseph was not in the pit. He rents his clothes. He returns to his brethren. And he says, the child is not an eye. Whither shall I go? What have you guys done? What have you done? Joseph became the hero in dad's eyes. Now all of a sudden he's been ripped apart. And all of a sudden they take the cloak, return to dad. Dad sees what's gone on, bloodied. He says, yes, this indeed is my son. Now they had to go through this scheme. And Jacob rent his clothes, put on sackcloth upon his loins and mourned. For his son many days, and all of his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And they said, 
for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept. Fifteen years ago, his wife died, his beloved Rachel. And then all of a sudden, now his favorite son, his, his beloved Joseph is gone. Life just seems to be crushing. Again, he's probably about 91, 92 years old at the time. A heavy burden upon his life. Tragic to see the path that takes for sin to run its course, isn't it? As sin starts out, it looks upon itself and looks as we look upon it and say, well, this is nothing at all. Sin is just that which is something will help me to feel better at the time. The brothers saw and entered into sin because what Joseph had done hurt them, offended them. We're not going to bow down to him. We're going to do this. We're not going to act like this. But all of a sudden, it transforms into something else. We talked about this when we were in James last year. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. They were drawn away of their own lust. God didn't put them into such a situation. They were enticed, they were lured in with the entrapments of their own pride and their own envy and their own situation And all of a sudden, it continues to grow. James says, then when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. They didn't recognize how far this has gone. They were all of a sudden caught in the the snowball and rolling down the hill and gathering speed and, and weight and strength. And it's taking them right along with it. It's pulling them down to be destroyed. You know, that wasn't their intention. They were only looking to satisfy their own needs. And that's what sin does. It's not its intention to, to show you all of a sudden the ramifications of all that's going to take place by that one small lie or that certain action or those words that were said or, or whatever conflict it was. They only want you to see and help you to understand that this will make you feel better. This will show them that they were wrong. This will vindicate you. And so it does. And that's what these brothers were trying to do. It was never their intention to go this far. In closing, I want to look at a final look at Joseph. Uh, The journey from Hebron to Memphis. Not Tennessee, but at the current time, Memphis was the capital of of Egypt. And it was a journey, according to what what I've read, around 300 miles according to the main roads that were there. Joseph is shackled, no doubt, with other slaves. Uh, no doubt the, the, the whole situation was totally befuddling. Why is this taking place? Why did they do that to me? Why are these things going on? And no doubt he wrestled with everything of the past, of everything of the present, and wrestled with the potential of what still awaits him. Sometimes you think you're on the right path, and all of a sudden it just goes, boom, it just goes awry. And why? I didn't do anything wrong. Although throughout chapter 37, we don't read of any of Joseph's resistance. I'm not saying he never said anything, um, but he didn't resist physically, and, and apparently, you know, we don't know 
all the, the ins and outs between the two of them. But let me jump, just read a verse from chapter 42. This is kind of a soundbite, a picture. 20 years later, 20 years later, 4221, and they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when we besought him and we, and, I'm sorry, we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore, in this distress come upon us. The scene is the palace. And the brothers are there, except for Benjamin and dad. And all of a sudden they come and Joseph recognizes them. He knows what's going on. And he turns to them and he says, you guys are spies. And you know, no, we're not spies. And you guys are guilty. And all of a sudden the guilt from 20 years ago has, has raised itself in their own mind. And he said, do you remember the look on his face, the despair, the anguish? Why are you doing this to me? And his words, please don't. And he said, we wouldn't even listen. We plugged our ears. They, they were so enveloped in the sin that they were bound in that, that they just heard nothing. But this scene came back 20 years later. And they could see it as if it was yesterday. They recognized the tragedy of that which has gone on. We saw how Joseph looked at us. We could see the distress, the anguish. He pleaded with us, but we just turned our face away. You know, there are times when we are distressed and filled with anguish, troubled and burdened in situations where you say, why? Am I not, Lord, doing your will? Am I not on the right path? Am I not looking to please you? things that were not planned or things that were not expected, walking in the right path, and our reward becomes that which we never expected. We plead with God to that end. Lord, I want to do your will. But yet the road, the easier road, seems so far away. And like Joseph, all of us look ahead to an unknown future on the way to Egypt. Joseph didn't know what was going on. He had no concept, and all he was carrying with him was though the resentment and the hatred and the actions of his brethren, except he had the anchor of his soul upon the God that he was serving. Joseph was bought and sold like a piece of property, betrayed by those of his own family, seemingly forsaken by all, yet he reconciled himself that God was not finished with him yet. We talked, yes, last week that the principle of the sovereignty of God in the story of Joseph is so clear and so relevant because whatever Joseph had in, what, in, in, the, in the chapters ahead, whatever goes on to him, the imprisonment, the, the, the Potiphar's wife, the, the whole situation, he didn't sit down and say, I'm going to plan to do this. I'm going to plan to do this. Yet what happened, however it had turned out, required that he needed to be faithful to God, and that's all. I want to close a few words from the Apostle Paul in Romans 8. And Paul writes to the church, and he says, In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
And I put this in this. If Joseph had a New Testament with him, he didn't, you know. But if Joseph had a New Testament with him, or if he memorized Paul's writings, which he didn't, this is what he would have memorized. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creatures shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, how did Joseph make it? How did Joseph get by another day? It didn't mean that Paul writes this. He says, I understand my end from my beginnings and all this. other." The only thing that held Paul together, the only thing that held Joseph together, the only thing that held the saints together is that which God is and cannot change. All of these oppositions, you know, principalities, powers, present, height, depth, you know, death, life, all of that stuff, everything beats upon us because we're here in this world. But what ties us together is the thread of redemption that God has made available to us. And it brings us through another day. If you find yourself walking in the path like Joseph, a painful one, not of your choosing, find hope in Christ. Tim mentions every Sunday, he says, we have our big list on prayer meeting, you know. Uh, I get them emailed out to me uh, from Nancy. Here's the list of all of the, and sometimes they're again and again and again and again and again. And for some of those people, say, they say, why? Why is this happening? You know? well, God's hand remains in it to bring up about a purpose and an accomplishment that's well beyond us. You say, what about these wicked brothers, what they did? We see later on, weeks to come, that he's, Joseph tells them, what you intended to do was for evil. And the superficial understanding of life. But God meant it for good. But God meant it for good. They're accountable. They're accountable for what they did. To stand before God for that. But there was an instrument in God's hands to be used in order to vindicate Joseph, to save the nation of Israel, and to eventually save Egypt because of the plague, because of the famine, because of everything that occurred to them. So we, can't, we have no concept of, of what God has in store. We may pray for an understanding, for a healing, for a, for a vote, for, for this, for all these other situations, but we don't know what God has in store. The only thing we know is that the love of Jesus Christ cannot separate us from him from him. We are more than conquerors to the one who loved us. Let's pray. Father, the life of Joseph seems to be so distant and, and for the majority of it, it's a life that we, be, we have become very familiar with. We know the stories. We know his wanderings. We know his arrest. We know his coat. We know the, what the brothers have done. And sometimes familiarity, Lord, removes us from the picture of the lives that were there. Yet what you revealed to Joseph by your grace sufficiently sustained him through the darkest moments, raising him up again to be in a 
position of responsibility, and then again crushing him down to the darkest moments, raising him up again and bringing him to a place where he rescues his own family, the family that betrayed him. And so, Father, cause us to see the bigger picture. Help us to focus upon you and being responsible children of the Most High God, to be obedient to the covenant commands that we've been given, believing that they will indeed bring yourself glory in the situation in the world in which we live. Lord, these are troublesome times. And yet with our God, we are indeed more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, who clearly loves us and gave himself for us. May that always be seated upon our hearts. May it be burned upon our souls and be never to be forgotten. Thank you, Father, for this life. Thank you for these brothers. Thank you for their actions that has been revealed, uh, warts and all, to show forth uh, their character, but more so shows forth your grace and your mercy and your love in all. And so provide us with such hope in our day. In Christ's name, amen.